You're listening to the World of Higher Education podcast, Season 2, Episode 5. Hello, I'm Alex Usher, and this is the World of Higher Education podcast. Brazil's higher education system is a lot like the country itself. Big, complicated, riddled with inequality, and above all, still growing fast. In some ways, it's a funhouse mirror of the American system. Highly stratified, but the prestigious institutions for the most part are public and free rather than private and expensive. And there's a huge chunk of the system which is access-driven, but it's private and relatively expensive rather than public and relatively cheap. And this basic structure for the most part enjoys support across the political spectrum, or at least it's not one that any political party is aiming to change anytime soon. Where political parties do clash in Brazil, quite noisily in recent years, is over the internal politics of the prestigious public higher education institutions. Under the Bolsonaro administration from 2018 to 2022, Brazil had a highly Trumpist and also anti-vax president. And like every right-wing populist from Budapest to Miami, his government was often engaged in fights with universities over curriculum, program choices, and funding. Lula da Silva's new government has brought an improvement in tone, but it's not clear how much of the damage can be undone. Today, our guest is Professor Marcelo Nobel. He's a highly respected physicist and science educator. He also holds the rare distinction of having been a rector both at one of Brazil's top public universities, Universidade Estadual de Campinas, or UNICAMP, and also at a rising private university, the INSPIR Institute of Education and Research in Sao Paulo. And that makes him a fantastically knowledgeable guide to the growth, structure, and politics of higher education in Brazil. Now, I often throw guests an easy question about the future of higher education in their country, and maybe the most striking thing about this interview is the degree of pessimism in Marcelo's response. Normally, guests can come up with reasons for optimism, but Marcelo thinks that political polarization in Brazil may have reached the point where strong political leadership on higher education is now impossible. It's a sobering thought, not just for Brazil, but for all other countries facing similar political configurations. But enough from me, here's Marcelo. Marcel, can we just start by describing the system of public higher education in Brazil and tell me where I'm wrong? There's several hundred universities or university colleges reporting to either a state government or the federal government. Is that correct? Yes. Well, the system is rather complex. In fact, we have now about 9 million students enrolled in the system. I would say that there is basically one system, which is the public university system, which can be comprised by federal universities, state universities, as well as a few city universities that are very small. And the private system, on the other hand, that has the huge amount of uh, enrollments in the country. And at the top of that system, there are some very high quality institutions, you know, maybe the best in Latin America. And as I understand it, those top institutions are nearly all funded by the federal government, not the states. Is that right? Yes, indeed, we have this specific system, which is the system of the public universities, which are research-oriented, and therefore they have developed a very well-known and a very solid system for graduate education as well. And this system is basically the ones that perform any scientific research in the country. This is a particular way to see that uh, indeed in the in the last few years there has been a, also development in another sector of universities which are 
the what we call here the community universities, which usually have some religious background mm -hmm. and are this kind of university which are private but non-for-profit. And there is a, a rather interesting and new system of private universities trying as well to develop some research. But basically, we have uh, science institutes, which are usually as well uh, from the government, from the states, or from the federal system, as well as the public universities, which are uh, essentially the ones that perform science research in Brazil. Now, these top institutions, there's no tuition there. It's free tuition, as I understand, but the entrance examinations are highly competitive. And I remember a couple of decades ago, the system came under a fair bit of criticism because the competitive entrance examinations meant that lower income students had difficulty accessing the top universities. Is that still true? Has anything changed? In fact, it's partially true. In the last few years, I would say after 2000, 2005, there has been a, a number of affirmative actions and social inclusion programs in all the public universities in, in Brazil. But indeed, they are extremely selective. Just to mention one single example, the university, I am come from the University of Campinas in the state of Sao Paulo in Brazil, which is a state university. We usually have in our entrance exam, typically 80,000, 70,000 applicants for 3,000 places. So it means that we have less than 4% of the students getting into the university. And for some specific areas, this is extreme. Just to mention in medicine, for example, which is a career very much appreciated here in Brazil, in, at Unicamp, at my university, we have around 300 candidates per spot. So they are extremely selective, but this changed. We have offered a, a number of social inclusion programs. We have now a quota system. We have places for students that come from uh, poor backgrounds, schools which are also public schools uh, in high school. So there are a, a number of actions that happened in the last few years in order to try to change these elitism in the public universities that was indeed happening. Okay, interesting. Now, I understand in Brazil, that universities are they're led by rectors, and these rectors are appointed by politicians, but that the politicians have to choose from a list of candidates that are voted on by the campus community. So there's a mix of accountability to politicians and accountability to the academic community. Now, you are a university president at, at UNICAP, at Campinio, which is one of the top, if, if not the top university in Brazil, particularly in, in science and technology. So what kind of a campaign did you have to run to become a rector? You know, how does having to have an elected base constrain you once you're leading a university? Well, that's a very interesting question. In fact, whenever I tell my friends in other parts of the world, the system is rather particular here, in not only Brazil, but I would say in all Latin America. Indeed, there is a kind of a consultancy for the academic communities and election, indeed. In our case, in the case of University of Campinas, we have around 50,000 people voting. So all the students, the staff members, the, all the internal community of the university vote. And I, I had to make a full campaign. I, I made a six-month campaign. I, I had supporters, people helping to develop the program. Uh, we, we went to every single center and place at the university, every single school, discussing with the faculty members, with the students, with the staff members, 
uh, at the hospital that we have a university hospital as well. So there is a full campaign trying to, in one hand, to understand the problems, on the other hand, to try to figure out ways to solve the problems that eventually happen. And so I think this uh, has two sides. From, on one side, this can lead indeed for some populism and, and some corporativism as well. But in, on the other hand, you get acquainted, you, you, you really understand the, deeply the university, you get to know all the uh, community, and th therefore you, you start uh, as a leader in a position where you really understand the whole uh, university and the, and the set of problems that eventually one has to face. Now one of the biggest trends in Brazilian higher education over the last few decades has been the growth of the private sector, which now I, I think teaches between about two thirds and three quarters of all students. And interestingly, this policy seems to have partisan support. I mean, it's continued regardless of the, the strike of the government of the day. Why does this policy of leaving so much of higher education to the private sector have so much implicit political support? I mean, particularly on the left. You know, and how successful have these institutions been at at finding ways to make higher education affordable to a lower income audience? Well, this is a really complex question to reply in few minutes, but indeed we have uh, this system that the the government helps the students which are poorer to get into universities, and a way that was found in order to solve the issue of uh, places in public university was to finance these students in private universities and therefore the system, the private system grew very much. Indeed, as you mentioned, it's more than that nowadays. It's 77% of the enrollments are in private universities. And uh, this is a figure that is uh, probably not changing. And the issue is that when you have a majority of students in one system, it's very hard to change because you have millions of students to deal with and it's extremely expensive to expand the public system. In Brazil, we have by constitution uh, that the universities, the public ones, uh, have to deal with uh, the, the three pillars of the university, which are uh, research, teaching, of course, and extension that we call here. So it's more like uh, outreach programs. And this mm -hmm. is mandatory for all universities. And therefore, creating a system of public universities of research public universities is extremely complicated and extremely uh, expensive, you know, and therefore this was a, a way to try to expand the number of places in universities. Of course, the problem is that many of these universities are uh, really bad quality ones. They are more certificate giving institutions and it's very hard to get really a quality assurance in order to get good quality education. So that's interesting. You talk about low quality providers in the private section, but there is sort of a, a new element in the private sector recently, it seems to me. So there have always been private institutions, maybe uh, traditional prestigious Catholic ones, usually that have had some tradition of being knowledge generators rather than just low-cost providers. But now you are getting some new ones like Inspar, where you were uh, briefly president. You know, and they sort of seem that like they're building themselves on the model of technological de Monterrey in Mexico. 
So both private, but innovative, and there's a fair bit of research coming out. What is this new breed of universities? How did they come about and are they succeeding in their ambitions? Well, indeed, there is a, this a new system that is developing. I think it's good enough to have that because we really, in Brazil, one, one figure that I forgot to mention before is that even though we have 9 million students in the system, these students represent only 20% of the cohort from 18 to 24 years old. So we have to double these numbers in order to, to reach the percentage of other uh, developed nations. So we really need to expand this system. We really need diversity. And this new group of universities uh, and higher education institutions is, is growing. I think it's a, a, an interesting uh, result of the system trying to find new niches in order to develop. One of the causes is also related to the affirmative actions and social inclusion programs that happened in the public universities. Of course, for the elite of the country, there has been less places in the public system, and therefore this other system of elite private universities grew. I think it's, it's very good for the system to have this diversity, uh, and there is a space for more. So I think we uh, will uh, yet see a, a change in the system in the next few years. We're going to take a short break. We'll be right back. This podcast is brought to you by Higher Education Strategy Associates, a sector-specific consultancy based in Toronto, Canada. Among our many lines of work is program review and new program development. Looking to refresh some of your curricular options? Higher Education Strategy Associates can help with market research, evaluation of employer needs, competition analysis, and national and global reviews of curriculum trends by study field. Get in touch to find out how your institution can benefit. Email us at info at higheredstrategy.com. And we're back. So Marcelo, let me turn now to more recent events. In, there was a shock winner of the 2018 presidential election in Brazil, Jair Bolsonaro, a man very definitely in the mode of Donald Trump. What were the implications of his election for the higher education sector? Was there a frontal assault on higher education or was it more benign neglect for four years? No, there was a direct assault. There, there was immediately a, a change in the way the universities and the higher education system is seen. And in fact, there were direct attacks from the ministers of education to the higher education system itself. And there was a, a huge drop on, on the funding for universities, uh, for funding for science, and for, sci for funding for infrastructure as well. So there was not only verbal attacks, uh, considering that the the universities are are, are place for leftists, it's uh, where nobody do anything. Uh, there's there are only parties, but also they really did reduce the budget for all the federal universities. And there was, of course, many there were many attacks in different fronts. For just to mention one example that we discussed before, after the election of the names at the uni public universities, usually in the federal case, the president nominates, usually nominates the first on the list. But Bolsonaro changed that and he nominated many rectors that were not 
uh, the first on the list, or even they were not even in the list. And therefore, this produced a strong conflict within the universities, and it was really hard to deal with. And we are still dealing with this problem up to now. So this is something that we should take care and be aware, because from the politics and this strong polarization can really make a damage in the higher education system. So in some countries, if you had a government that was cutting back funding, the institutions would be able to recoup some of that through tuition fees, but that wouldn't have been the case at the federal universities in Brazil. So, so what were the implications for institutions? Were there layoffs? Were there budget? Like how did the budget cuts play out? Well, they, in fact, they, the issue is that the salaries of the faculty and the staff was not affected because this goes directly through the federal and governmental system. And so this is a kind of a relief, but the universities had no, sometimes had no money to even to buy toilet papers for the restrooms or to pay the energy for the buildings. And so this was really disastrous. Uh, many necessary materials for research, the cleaning of the places. So this was really bad for the universities. And of course, not only the practical things, but the mood as a whole was affected. So there was this kind of bad mood regarding the future, and, and therefore it's hard to attract new talent for applying for to become a, a professor at, at the university. Many people left the country, so there was a huge brain drain from, from mm -hmm. Brazil. So this is a, a set of problems that uh, were developed from these uh, attacks to public universities in Brazil. Okay. And then late last year, I guess it's almost a year ago now, former president Lula da Silva was reelected. And in his previous term in office, which I guess was eight years long at the beginning of the century, you know, he was very generous to poor students, if not institutions, in creating or incentivizing the creation of bursaries. You mentioned a few of those earlier as measures to improve access to the top universities. But there's a lot less money available to government in Brazil than there was 15 years ago at the height of the oil and commodities boom. What do you think higher education institutions can expect from Lula 2.0? Well, of course, there was uh, a lot of hope for the return to some money, a budget, and, and support for science and higher education. I usually use the analogy, we at least left the survival mode that we were in during the four years of Bolsonaro. But of course, there is a cautious hope because we know that the, it will be difficult to change. The economic crisis is stronger in Brazil now. The world is changing as well. And therefore, this is not the same situation as we faced uh, some years ago. And this is something that uh, it's challenging because I'm afraid that we will soon start to have some strikes, some problems in the public system. And this, of course, will destabilize a little bit the government. And this is not good because, as we all know, that nowadays this polarization is extremely strong in many countries, not only in North America, just to mention one example, but also in Europe, in other parts of the world. And these critical governments, which are complex to science, technology, for education as a whole, are unfortunately really dominating the world nowadays. So from your perspective, what are the parts of the current higher education 
landscape that you think are the brightest? Are there any particular points of pride or so? Well, I think that we should try to develop more something that we just learned from the pandemic. We are now doing this interview. I am in Brazil. You are somewhere in the world. I don't even know where you are and it doesn't matter. So we should try to make more connections, networks among higher education institutions in order to have more professors from different parts of the world, students changing experiences, ideas. It it seems amazing, but before the pandemic, we eventually didn't even know that we could do that. Now we are sure that we can do, and it works, and we should try to uh, to do it uh, more frequently. I think this is a great opportunity that, unfortunately, is not being developed so much yet. I also believe that we can explore, you know, in the positive way, the new tools. Everyone is afraid of the artificial intelligence, but I think that the possibilities it brings for uh, interesting developments in science, technology, innovation is amazing. And we should try to extract more from these tools uh, and not only keep complaining about them. And what do you think of the overall future of Brazilian uh, higher education, the, the system as a whole? If we could travel 10 years into the future, will it be a happy future? What will have changed the most? Well, I can reply with my pessimistic side. I would say that nothing will change. And it's a pity. We will lose the opportunity of the, our demographic change that we, we are facing right now, not only in Brazil, but also in the world. And unfortunately, the system is big enough and difficult to change. We should have a system which is more diverse, where we can have less restraints in order to have a student exchange different kinds of institutions, a system which is more flexible and, of course, bigger as well, trying to have access and development for more students. But unfortunately, I I am a, a little bit pessimistic. It's really hard to change. We need a strong government in order to, to make and, and process that changes. And unfortunately, the future seems to be rather complicated in order to have uh, this strong polarization in the society, and therefore we will always have weak governments, uh, and which will not be able to deal with, uh, you know, fundamental changes that are necessary for the higher education system. So, unfortunately, I am a bit pessimistic about that, and I, I think that the the changes that will eventually happen will be just incremental and will take a long time to develop. Marcelo, thank you very much indeed. Thank you. Thank you for having me here. It remains for me to thank our excellent producers, Sam Pufek and Tiffany McLennan, and you, the listener, for joining us today. If you have any questions or suggestions for future podcasts, please get in touch with us at podcast at higheredstrategy.com. Join us next week when our guest will be Ernest Aite former Vice Chancellor of the University of Ghana and current Secretary General of the African Research Universities Alliance. Bye for now. The World of Higher Education podcast is a Higher Education Strategy Associates production, produced by Tiffany McLennan and Samantha Pufek, hosted by Alex Usher, music by T. Bless and the Professionals. Thanks for listening, and be sure to subscribe on Apple Podcasts or your favorite podcast app. 